Good morning. I see that the sun is coming out there, but not here. <laughs> All right, I'll be honest with you. I've read this section of John lots of times, uh, but I'm not sure I've given this particular piece much of a second thought. Uh, I have not spent lots of time studying the lives of Philip or Nathaniel. I have not searched concordances for fig trees. I just haven't given this section a whole lot of time. That is the advantage of, of the great blessing that Kevin has given me, of putting me in front of a bunch of people. You get inspired to take a closer look when you're going to preach about it. So that's what I've done this week. As is often the case, uh, there is a lot of stuff in these eight verses. Just eight verses here, uh, but, but a fair bit of stuff going on. I'm going to try to focus on three things, uh, a few significant points about the nature of God, our role in his world, uh, and the way that, uh, that he uses us in it. First, and at the beginning of, uh, of this reading, Jesus calls him to our, his, himself, but frequently decides to use us in that work. He uses us as part of our plan. In my Bible, the header for this section is called, Jesus Calls Philip and Nathaniel, which makes pretty good sense. I think that's close. <clears throat> Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So this part's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, follow me, you follow him. Simple as that. One can imagine that if God incarnate looks you in the eye and says, follow me, you'll likely take that hint. The gravity of those words coming from Jesus in person is almost unimaginable. Follow me. God calling his people is nothing new. Our Old Testament reading from 1 Samuel tells us a sweet story of God calling Samuel as a boy, but Samuel didn't yet recognize the voice. He keeps running to Eli saying, here I am, you called. I can identify with Eli. I'm used to young people running to my bed and waking me up for all variety of things. <clears throat> here I am, you called. Eventually, Eli figures out what's going on and tells Samuel, lay back down, and if he speaks to you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel learns to recognize God's call. So all this sets the direction of the action. Back to the story in John, these men are being called by Jesus to Jesus. First he calls Philip, then Philip tells Nathaniel. Just a few verses earlier, we heard a similar story. Andrew heard John speak about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. And he followed. And then he goes and tell his, tells his brother Simon Peter that good news. I don't know about you all, but I am not very good about holding on to good news. I've gotten a little bit better about it. Early in our marriage, I don't think Andrea ever received a gift on the day of the occasion. <clears throat> because once I had the gift, it drove me insane. <laughs> I could not wait to share the good thing with her. So she's gotten lots of Christmas presents in mid-December, several birthday presents the first week of June. I cannot help myself. When I have that good news and I know that thing is going to make her happy, I think we have an innate desire to share good things with people that we love. So that's part of what we're seeing here. With Andrew and Philip, they have the very best news. They cannot wait to tell someone. They can't wait to share this good news that they have. Philip goes and tells Nathaniel, so Jesus has chosen to use Philip to reach his friend. This is a beautiful part of God's way of working in his world through his people. 
from early in Genesis, we're told that humans are made in the image of God and given dominion over creation. This means that we're not mere passengers on this roller coaster, regardless of how this last year has felt. We occasionally get to hold the paintbrush and take an active role in creation and in God's work of establishing his kingdom. He may not need us in the story, but he wants us in his story. As we look back over our lives, we can see these examples of people who were obviously in our lives at a particular time for a specific purpose. Perhaps someone to show you kindness when you were in a low spot, someone to offer shelter or protection when you were vulnerable, or maybe someone to speak the truth when you were misguided, in my case. At the time, you may have been entirely oblivious, but in hindsight, God's purpose and where he places you and other people can be so clear. Without a doubt, you've also been the person that God was using to bless or protect someone else in a time, in, in a time of need, perhaps without even knowing it. So like Samuel and Philip, we hear God's call and we try to play our small part. Secondly, Jesus calls us to himself where we are and how he sees fit. Jesus tells Philip, follow me, and Philip listens. Nothing to it. Philip tells Nathaniel, I imagine pretty excitedly, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets were talking about. It's Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph's son. And Nathaniel says, say what? <laughs> Nazareth, Jesus? No, I don't think so. To Philip's credit, he doesn't attempt to launch into an, an articulate, sophisticated rebuttal. He doesn't rely on his own wits to win his friend over, nor does he start a conversation about theology or doctrine. Philip simply says, come and see. He just points him to Jesus, not to a theory or to a law or to an argument, but to the person of Jesus. I know what he's done for me. You go see for yourself. I could learn something from Philip. As is often the case, Jesus takes it from here. He shocks Nathaniel by recognizing him. And when Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus tells him, I saw you over by the fig tree before Philip talked to you. Immediately, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. So Nathaniel doubted, but that's all right. Because when he saw truth, he recognized it and he accepted it. Dan Velker used to work for a pastor down in Florida named Steve Brown, real bright guy. Uh, he still has a radio show that you can listen to on podcasts called Key Life Ministries and another one called Steve Brown, etc. Uh, Key Life is great. It's like 10 minutes a day. Um, but Steve did a, a whole series on doubt. So I'm listening to this series and he says, doubt is fine. Doubt's natural. It is not uncommon to have doubts. Don't beat yourself up about having doubts. However, when God answers your question, when God reveals himself to you, believe that. Don't cook up another reason. Don't dream up another excuse to, to pull up another doubt. Just take him at his word. Believe Jesus as he reveals himself to you. Don't look for a loophole. That's what Nathaniel did here. He had his doubts. He saw truth. He believed it. Lastly, in this passage, Jesus gives us a hint about who and what he is. 
In verse 51, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This isn't Jesus bragging to Nathaniel that he has a better trick than the fig tree. It is instead one of the many times in the New Testament that take us back to visions and prophecies from the Old Testament. This one points back to Jacob's ladder, which is in Genesis 28. Uh, by this point in Genesis, it is a dumpster fire. All sorts of bad stuff is going on. Uh, this specific spot, Jacob has just tricked his father Isaac, stolen, stolen the blessing that was due his older brother Esau, and is now running from him. In the midst of that, in verse 12, he has a dream. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That ought to sound familiar. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the Lord goes on to promise great blessing on Jacob and his family. Near the end of this section, Jacob exclaims, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So despite Jacob's sin, God has chosen to bless he and his family, and God tells him that his offspring will be like the dust of the earth, scattering in every direction. God also shows Jacob this picture of a ladder and a gate to heaven. So from the time of the fall in Eden, humanity's sin has separated us from God. Our sin has put up a barrier. Throughout the Old Testament, we read about the temple, the house of God, the place where people go to meet God. But there are all sorts of rules for how you prepare and purify and who can enter and when can you can enter. Again, because man has turned from God and brought about this separation. So the temple, along with this description of a gate, reminds God's people that they are separated and that access to God is not as easy as it was intended. But this imagery of this awesome place, this gate to heaven, leads God's people to long for unity and gives them hope that it will someday be restored. This gate is our way back. When Jesus brings up the vision of the ladder, he's telling Nathaniel and us that he is the gate which, on which angels will ascend and descend. Jesus is the thing that can bridge the gap between God and his creation, his children. The person of Jesus is the temple. He is the ladder. He is the only thing that can remove this barrier. All of our failures, all the evils of the world, all the ways that we couldn't fix this suddenly go away and the gate is open to us. Jesus' coming is what gives us our citizenship papers to the kingdom of heaven. He is what will ultimately join us back together as we were intended and he calls you by name. That is very good news. Like Philip, we have information that changes the whole world. We know someone whose very existence rewrites all of history. And like Philip, you ought to go tell someone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat>